Hello, bienvenue and welcome to Oblivious Book Review, the podcast where we speak about our recent readings and a lot of other things. Today, your hosts are Sander and Elio. And today we are going to speak about Full Spectrum Resistance by Arik McBay. Hello, Elio. Hey, Sander. So, how are you doing, Elio? I'm doing pretty good. We have had uh, amazing weather <laughs> and I've had uh, still a lot of time to try to read. Oh. I would say the weather outside is still quite cold. <laughs> so, you, you go out for 20 minutes, you try to read it, get some sun, and then you have to go back in pretty fast. <laughs> you go even outside in these times of Corona, huh? Yeah, I try to go to places uh, where nobody is. So usually I find my spot uh, in the forest I have nearby. I'm not going to be close to anyone. But yeah, the best would be to uh, stay home, home, home. Yeah. So maybe I'm thinking like try to get some breathe outside Yeah. in order to, in case Sweden start a quarantine. Yeah, because uh, Sweden is really an exception among European countries of doing a home, almost home arrest, I would say, of quarantines. Because uh, mm -hmm. we are still able to go outside and uh, enjoy our freedom. But <laughs> <laughs> freedom! <laughs> but and freedom is a pretty good link to the books I will talk about today. Oh, oh I'm very interested. Yes, because you are, uh, it's your turn for you for this episode for uh, to explain for the readers and for me which uh, books you have been reading. Because I know that you have been reading two books. But yes. uh, which type of books did you read the uh, last couple of weeks or maybe days? <laughs> uh, it's more weeks, actually. <laughs> and it's one of the things uh, that I want to talk about today. The fact that these books, I think they're very good to try to read them in, uh, in one go and to really keep the mindset to have the idea fresh because I was a bit cut in my reading of this book. Mm. I put my attention to other <laughs> things in the meantime. And I really don't think it's uh, a book that is very good for, for this. It's not like the poetry book. I spoke in a few episodes earlier. But I think it's uh, time for me to reveal which book we're talking about, even though it was already in the introduction. Uh, today, we are speaking about Full Spectrum Resistance. Oui. Um, okay, interesting. <laughs> yes, very interesting. Yes, it's like, tell me more. <laughs> Sounds like very sp spiritual to me, actually. Uh, resistance spiritual? not at all no. not at all it's not <laughs> no it's more thought as a manual for activists uh -huh. that okay. want to to win their, their fight for social or ecological change and um, the guy that wrote the book the two books actually mm -hmm. because uh, you have 12 subjects 12 chapters sorry that are uh, separated into uh, two books And I forgot about it when I was reading the first one. So I got very surprised when you, you read like you read chapter six and then it ends and you're like, whoa, <laughs> I forgot there was supposed to be a second book. So I got really cut in the middle. <laughs> But thankfully, I already had the second one. So I just had to switch to my next book. Hmm. Um, but so what is so particular about his method is um, how to... He will go through everything that is needed for someone to be an activist on how to create movements, to train people, to um, fight against oppression from the government, to mm -hmm. which technique. Like, it's very complete, I would say. So, uh, so it's actually 
an, a guidebook to uh, activism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there are many books like this. Of course. But this one was really compiling. I think he has to he had to do a lot of research for it. Uh, it gives a lot of examples of um, previous activism fights uh, in the past that happens mostly in the US, but he gives examples about all around the world, mm -hmm. big and, and small fights. And uh, his guidebook, yeah, as you said, I think it's good to call it a guidebook. Mm -hmm. It's very complete. Um, but one thing I thought when I was reading it, I had the chance to uh, be involved in activism as well yes. while I was reading And so I could really see some things, I could apply them really fast. For example, when he describes how to organize meetings and how to uh, decide how, who speaks, how much one can speak, how mm -hmm. to organize if it's fully democratic, if some people have more to say, how to decide to create smaller groups. Like all of this it can sound a bit management, but it was very much Thailand for activism and it did suit well when I was uh, using it like the... A few hours just after I was uh, <laughs> <laughs> reading it. <laughs> well, okay. But where's this guy, so, uh, the, the writer? Where does he come from? You know that? He's from the US. Oh, okay, from yeah, but US, the United States has a very uh, big, yeah, how you say, broad history of uh, protests. So, yeah, his name is Eric McBay. McBay, McBay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And. Um, On his website, I checked his website, he uh, describes himself as an author, a farmer, and a resistant. Oh. <laughs> uh, interesting combinations, I would say. And yeah, and when I was checking uh, his website uh, just a few days ago, <laughs> I just had to learn at that time, but I was already done with the book, and he's a ginger as well. <laughs> oui. well um, straight language, of course, some familiarities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But let me get to something that is very at the core of his uh, thoughts when he's um, describing how to uh, be an activist. Mm -hmm. He really thinks that direct action has to, to happen. And he, he thinks that, uh, yeah, we, we have to be in the action and not campaigning. Like he really makes a difference between campaigning and the kind of action that, uh, the action that will make the thing happen by themselves. Oh. In his mind and in the book, He's in a fight. Mm -hmm. He's at war. He's fighting the power. And his justification for that is that um, for him, campaigning, the point of campaigning is to convince the people in power to make the right change. Mm -hmm. And for him, if I quote him, he says, we fight because we can't persuade neither a dictator, a sociopath, or a corporation. Okay. So for him, there is no the, the game of trying to convince the um the corporations or the the people in in power so usually it's big companies but it can be uh, people in a high uh, political uh, place is pointless it's not gonna lead us anywhere they they don't want mm -hmm. to, and exactly. they, they're not wired to yeah. make the change oh i agree with that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I if i if yeah. i uh, take a step backward again uh, backwards again because you mentioned yeah. he has He makes a an, an, uh, difference between protesting and taking action, right? Campaigning, oh, campaigning. and uh, yeah. an action. But campaigning, but campaigning what does that really mean? Like going on the streets and, and uh, put on banners and... Uh... Yeah, but you, you could see the difference between symbolic and uh, direct actions. Mm -hmm. Like symbolic action won't make uh, the change happen by themselves, but will um, send a message. Mm -hmm. For example, let's let's take a, a precise case study. 
you want a certain power plant, a coil power plant to stop, to yep. shut down. Well, a direct action could be to go and bomb uh, a part of it and uh, prevent yeah. it from functioning. Yeah, that's really... Like blocking, blocking the... Entrance. Yeah. yeah. Or pe people who work there to just not go to work and not allow this power plant to function. Yeah. And or to, and to make a law voted for it to be closed down. And, and on side. the other hand, the, sim the symbolic action will be to make a strike against it mm -hmm. and to make a, a post on social media saying, making a drawing of it being very bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what... it's, it's not making it stop mm -hmm. right away. No. And what will be the action or uh, or uh, the activities what you mentioned for the guy? The action I yeah. just mentioned them just before. Oh, that's the action. I thought that was uh... yeah. The action is like going to the okay, okay. to the power plant okay. and preventing him from functioning, is crippling it yeah. directly, oh. like taking it down, for mm -hmm. example. <laughs> mm -hmm. That would be the the action. Yes. Or to force the people in charge to to make the choice and to to do what you want to do very strong yeah, that's, lobbyist. That's a very interesting question anyway, how to how to make sure that you that you persuade people doing what you want to do them to do. <laughs> that's yeah, a lot of people are wondering about this. Yeah, because it's um, a lot of psychological things come come to play as well, you know, like or uh, a lot of financial interests and political interest it's very mess messy there's a lot of different uh, well if we i don't know I, I would think about climate climate issues yeah a lot of uh, activism is done for the climate but yeah. not necessarily no, human present. rights yeah a lot of human rights for black people as well for yeah. gay people yeah minorities yeah, of, yeah. exactly minorities uh, with a lot of uh, activism going on for them and a lot of example fall into these categories yeah yeah as example given in the book but yeah, that's uh, he's really he's thinking he's he's for violent action. He doesn't speak so badly about uh, non-violent action, which is something that is very uh, well accepted nowadays. Like we say, we have to be non-violent for different reasons. Some people advocate for non-violence because uh, if you become violent, then the states have a much more strong power to be violent than you are. Mm -hmm. They have uh, trained uh, soldiers. They have trained uh, policemen with. Uh, better equipment than you will be able to craft on your own. So the state is better at being violent than you are. So yeah. one good strategy is to try to not be violent. And I, I hear and understand this argument, but it is not his way of doing things. <laughs> no, <laughs> at, uh, the author of the book we're talking about today, full spectrum resistance. So why not? I mean, well, let's just go uh, like in America, go to the shop, buy a gun and then uh, fight for your right. <laughs> <laughs> that will mostly make you end up in prison <laughs> rather than to have a, a durable uh, societal change yeah but um, he takes a really an um, opposite op uh, um, point of view on the one what's my kind of um, personal hero it's uh, uh, Nelson Mandela for example mm-hmm yeah Nelson Mandela really is your personal hero well I mean I'm very I, well, I've, I've, I had to, I had very been fortunate to live for a little bit in South Africa for a half a year. So you get a mm -hmm. lot of the culture with it and as well, how people, yeah, uh, think and how he actually managed 
well not he met and hold people around him because he could not do it in by himself of course but uh, Nelson Mandela and his uh, team is cited in the book and you you hear a bit more about why he ended up in prison and what kind of action they were yeah. Uh, perpetrating yeah yeah I read the, the biography of Nelson Mandela it was very interesting to read to, uh, to see Nelson Mandela itself is of embodies of course this whole movement but there's so many people more around him that enabled the whole uh, apartheid of uh, enable, enabled the whole rainbow nation movement in South Africa to make sure that the apartheid regime was officially abolished in South Africa mm-hmm. and and caused well and like a peaceful transition from this 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 authoritarian regime to a more dem- democratic regime of a regime uh, uh, government in South Africa so which is I think is very very uh, I'm not sugarcoating it because the country has still a lot of issues dealing <laughs> but no one sugarcoats South Africa <laughs> but uh, still it's a very uh, in history they have way more uh, cases of violent overthrowing from governments from one to another instead of and like a kind of a peaceful transition from like a very authoritarian regime to a more uh, in, yeah, inclusive uh, society that has been in my well, in my knowledge at least not happened that often that has been usually one you know, one dictator comes up mm-hmm. sits till the till he dies and the next one pops up again you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah why the city is still warm yeah yeah but anyhow but did you did you for the example of south africa do you think that they have managed to make the transition to a more inclusive society that you were uh, describing just now yes and no i mean the that regime of apartheid has been there like i think uh, several decades maybe a hundred years or so so that's something mm-hmm. that's not something you can root out in in one year or 10 years it takes uh, uh generations and uh it's so ingrained in if the institutions are already in place it's very difficult to to already change them so uh like it's if the the law systems are already kind of anchored in a certain certain uh bias or direction direction or philosophy or way how they proceed Mm. the processes it's very difficult to redirect them, I think. And that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And then along the way, people forget about it because, yeah, one generation or another, they forget what happened in the past. And, yeah, stuff that happened, uh, what are urgent now in today's life are more important than continuing the process what has been started in the past. Yeah, um, maybe one thing that can uh, facilitate uh, such a societal transition is to have good method and... Uh, a good background, just as a guidebook, for example. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I might sound very positive about this book right now, yep. but I have a few, uh, do you say drawbacks in English or things that uh, didn't really convince me? So uh, yeah, I think uh, to about the, like, I want to do a, a pros and cons really of this book to give yep. my, my review of what I thought about it. And so like uh, pros, I gave a lot already, like it's very complete. You have a lot of example, like the, the work has been done, even though uh, it has this thing that I really don't like in books, which is like uh, to tease you about what is coming in five uh, chapters. Oh my God. I, I really don't like when uh, books are doing this, like, uh, oh, uh, and this is how this movement managed to um, 
really thrive. But we will discuss it more in detail in chapter 12, you know, when you have chapter two. And then, <laughs> okay, and this feel like is, usually it's bad books that are doing it. So when I was starting to see that he's doing that, of course, I got a bit uh, like, mm. <laughs> um, but uh, it turned out to be a real research book and work has been done. Like mm. the, he delivered. Mm. Uh, and so one one thing that uh, you could say like, as a drawback, mm. of course, he's very convinced of what he says. And he's like, uh, you can feel it's all uh, the way up to his guts that he's uh, going to, to work for this. Mm. But then it made me question because the, the statement, the basic thing that he doesn't have to say really and that is clear in his mind is that we are in a in a war in a fighting position mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's has to be it's conflict conflict is going on and he makes sense if you look at it with you have a power that is standing on the seat like you were describing for south africa yeah and um then if this power now has so much capacity to change things that they can change things uh, forever. If we destroy the climate, if the power in place, if the great nation decide to uh, continue their, to fuck up the climate, yeah. then it will have effect uh, on you for, and, your, and your children and everything you can live for generations. So for him, it's like there is the power that is in place, the system, and the people around that try to push it and change it. And it's really these two groups that are important and always are there. There is always a power that is there and taking all the place. There is no, not so much possibility to go somewhere else and do another system. No, like now the power is there and taking all the space. Mm -hmm. So you have to fight it. That's his point of view. And my critique about it, if I can still continue my monologue right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm listening, I'm listening. <laughs> Nice, that's why I like to have this podcast with you, <laughs> your patience. <laughs> so my drawback is that at some point I got not tired of it, but really thinking that I'm, I might sound very naive, but how much is there to, to be taken into a fight? Because it felt like no matter how good you will be into building an activist movement, recruiting the, the right people, making security, safety, putting all his advice into your movement and maybe winning over the, your, your cause, mm -hmm. then I feel like the, the, the history might repeat itself because you will only at, at best be able to put back a system that could be corrupted again. Mm -hmm. And I really don't think that we shouldn't fight. That's really not what I'm yeah. trying to say, but having your mind only set on we are going to fight I, I felt like we were losing a part of the, the full spectrum of possibilities and solutions yeah. one could have. I was uh, almost to say, almost saying, the, wanted to say the same. If you only focus mm -hmm. on a fight against it, I think you, you, you lose out of view what other possibilities there are. Or um, seems so. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to uh, know why does he has this view of having this aggressive or violent uh, uh, way of um, taking action, I would say. I mean... Because I guess this point of view have grew on him and this is just pure speculation because he barely speaks about himself. Yeah. He, he speaks a bit still. He says, like, I went to this, uh, to this Congress. I was there. Um, I participated and supported uh, this movement. Like, he speaks a bit about himself, but not 
extensively. Mm. And I can really understand you get to this point of view, uh, which myself got tempted by, and this is why I started reading Full Spectrum Resistance, mm -hmm. is when you, you do activism and you see how unfairly you get repressed or how inefficient you feel like your actual solution are going to be. When you spend so much time like building up action, building up your arguments and showing that uh, your cause is just and it will be for the best of everyone, and all you get as an answer is a closed door, at some point, you get the, the desire to enforce the door yourself yeah. and to go through yourself. And this I can understand. And he has been wanting, I believe, to uh, spread this point of view and to make a lot of people go to the, to the next level. Mm. There are a few chapters that are about um, escalation, or it's spoken about in a few chapters, that uh, you try an action, realize it's, it was in the right direction, but it is not enough. So you you escalate, and you usually usually you escalate escalating uh, yeah that you had, yeah, yeah escalating yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. and he usually justify escalating by uh, as justify escalating as being an answer to the escalating of repression from the power in place usually governments in the case he's giving so for example when a government uh, is more. Uh, uh, using more force, you you should use also more force or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so okay. and when you present it like this, you can really see how it could go bad, so right? It, it seems like the, almost a cold war strategy. Like uh, they have more nukes, we are <laughs> building more nukes as well. I don't know. <laughs> Except his point is that the war should happen. <laughs> yeah. So wait, I'm happy. Somehow I could be happy. Is not an. Uh, <laughs> Like uh, being in charge then for a certain uh, high governmental position. If you start to think about uh, this book, at least mm -hmm. we're not speaking so much about the man. We're focusing yep. on the book, I think. And if you start to think of him as a, a dangerous extremist, I think I haven't done him proper justice because his mm. his book he really is about like how to build movements. Mm -hmm. And like if I just give you a quick overview of the chapters that I covered in the two books, yeah. You have the first two chapters that are like backstory, why we fight, fighting to win, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, and full spectrum resistance. <laughs> oh my god, it's so American. We fight to win. Yeah, it's so uh, well, I had to. I think, could write something like this. I feel it's uh, also like how they they announce the um, how they try to to take measures against a corona. It's also like yeah, we're gonna battle this corona, we're gonna f win this fight. You know, like I was like. It, it sounds so. To me, it sounds really American. Like uh, they use the words and the vocabulary of war. Yeah, the, to describe the actions. Yeah, they're very focused on military aspects in uh, in life in America. I guess I have the feeling that everything has mm. to be. There's only in one winner. There's one loser, and uh, nothing in between. Somehow. That makes me think of uh, something uh, I read in the book I'm currently reading, and mm -hmm. I plan to speak about it in um, a further episode. A future episode. So, yes. quick tease. Um, I think it's really important which uh, language and uh, vocabulary you use when describing something. It's very good that you speak about it now. Mm -hmm. So, you say Americans, to speak about their political action, they use words that come from the war language. Yeah, a lot. Battle, yeah. win. Yeah. Um, greatest, I guess. <laughs> what the greatest, the best, and uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's that's just a 
superlative, I guess, not yeah. necessarily war. war. But then the the book spoke about like how we got um, a bit. The book I'm reading now, it speaks a bit about how we got um, uh, how to say like uh, abused by uh, the. I have a hard time saying it uh, by nowadays uh, finance world, mm-hmm. and he says it might come partially from the fact that the the current finance world is using words from the medical um, vocabulary yes. to describe the activity. For example, they can speak about the health of an economy. Yeah, because yeah. an economy doesn't have really a health because it's not alive. No, <laughs> no, no. no but yeah. What, hmm. Yeah, but words play in yeah in in activism could be yeah I could imagine a very important um, factor as well. Although a lot of people are not, uh, if I look to myself, I'm not really consciously thinking about the words I use, you know, or take into what people will say during an uh, activism or. But still, they have a very this can come more during your serious activity yeah. when you're not in your everyday life. I don't know, but still, uh, when someone wants to make an uh, make theirs point and they use certain type of vocabulary you, you can be persuaded by them i would say in their way of using the certain type of words and it's pretty interesting i would say how 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 it can work for people's how, how you thoughts can be influenced by that or opinion yeah that's a very interesting point that we will discuss in a further episode oh. so let me just continue a bit on the the chapter list yes because I, I think it shows how full and complete his um, guidebook is. So I said the three first chapters, fighting to win. <laughs> <laughs> and then he speaks about recruitment and training, oh, yeah. like getting new recruits. He speaks about groups and organization, how to organize your group, which type suits better, which, uh, uh, <laughs> which actions or which objective. He has a lot of graphs all the time and uh, of measurement that nobody will ever be able to use because he, he has a... A lot of uh, management points, I would say. Like, yeah, this, this measurement, like, they have so much autonomy, this much um, flexibility, this much, and, like, how are you going to compare this thing? It's only interesting mm-hmm. for someone doing his thesis in a social science studying uh, activism movements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not something that you can, you could really grasp. I tried to look at this graph, but it didn't teach me much. No. But then, after groups and organization, come security and safety. And this is a very interesting uh, chapter. Because they give you tricks to how to protect your movement from infiltration. Mm-hmm. And when it speaks about infiltration, it necessarily implies that you are already kind of a dangerous thing because this means the government is sending infiltrated people in your movement to destroy it. Yeah, or get information out of it. And you, usually yeah. information is used like how to stop and destroy you. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting to win. Yeah, blackmail <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. What did you say? Blackmailing. Uh-huh, yes, yeah. there is a lot of this, blackmailing, for yeah. example, or just having someone like that acts like an activist, but he's just here to slow down the movement and... Uh, uh, saboteur. Build, yeah, exactly, uh, building people against each other. Uh, and he cited a few famous um, intru- in- intruders like this. Yeah. Okay, you and remember? That could be No, I, f- I forgot his name, but I-, I looked him up because he was described as someone like with a very strong personality, that was uh, really good at manipulating people and putting pressure on others, very good at um, reaching high position of decision mm. in uh, the organization. 
And usually all this, uh, when it was male infiltrators, they usually had a tendency as well to sleep with a lot of the activists. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> Sounds like James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, the bad side of James Bond, the dark Bond. Yeah. Yeah, it's always an opposite to James Bond, right? <laughs> I never thought about it before, to be honest. Like, should there always be an opposite to James Bond? I guess I can. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah. And then he speaks about, uh, to go back just on the the chapter list, <laughs> which is more complicated than I thought it would be. <laughs> he speaks about communication. Intelligence and uh, reconnaissance. What? And intel in reconnaissance. What's that? Re recognition. Oh, recognition. Is, uh, like, yeah, like uh, scouting. Ah, okay. Like how to prepare your action. And this chapter about intelligence and the next chapter about counterintelligence is one of my favorite ones. I tell you, he, he, I think he went uh, before in the military or somehow. Yes, uh, all his chapters are so related to... Uh, I haven't checked his background. Uh, it will be interesting. Because, uh, yeah. Mm. yeah, I'm going to come back before the end of the, this episode on the counterintelligence chapter because it was one of the ones that seemed the most interesting yeah. that was teased in the beginning and only came in the end of the book. Oh. <clears throat> Frustration. <laughs> <laughs> but then he speaks about logistics, fundraising, action and tactics and campaigns and strategy. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. And so just like this, from all these uh, chapters, I would like to ask you what you think, because I didn't know before, and uh, he made it clear, what is the difference between tactics and strategy? Uh, what Mr. Finks? Okay. Um, for me, uh, I would say strategy is maybe uh, something uh, more holistic, more broader. So mm -hmm. something... Uh, something on a higher level and and a tactic is maybe uh, to take it from one it's one step of one level below a smaller level maybe on a I don't know like a, um, if I would use on a micro level I would say um, yeah like uh, for example certain way of um, uh, you guys can see Sender's face, but he's focusing a lot yeah, right now. <laughs> I, to, I, I focus my, I close my eyes and try to think. <laughs> so, Siri, repeat what you said because I covered your voice, I think. So, I think the tactic is a way of on a micro level, maybe on approaching people and on a certain way. And the strategy is to, to, yeah, to have a focus only on uh, a bigger population of people only, for example. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You're pretty close actually to how he sees it, and I think it's a pretty accepted definition. So yeah, strategy is more long-term and more broad, and it's like closer to the vision, really. Like mm -hmm. the strategy is where your movement will go uh, in long, on the long term, yeah. where tactics can be more like uh, every action dependent, like uh, how do we um, make this specific thing happen? Mm. That's how a tactic, like one basically... Strategy would be for the war and tactics would be for every battle. Mm -hmm. no. Every battle, how do we win this battle specifically? But overall, what is the, the long-term strategy we can put into practice? And he was describing that a lot of activist movement 
if they have very good tactics, they still have bad strategy over the long term. Mm. And so they usually will lose even though they win every battle. Yeah, but this is not the case usually that if you do activism, it's usually in response to something what happens currently in society. And when, uh, and when you take actions to it or certain, certain yeah, uh, people are unsatisfied by it, somehow there will be a kind of a reaction that causes maybe to change in society where there is no any uh, any purpose to continue this uh, protest because uh, so there has been certain change made I would say which that mm-hmm. doesn't justify this type of uh, activism anymore so it's like very interesting points that's one thing he mentions uh I don't know if you want to finish your question, but uh, no. I'm going to answer it with no, no. gladly. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think this is part of the counterintelligence um, chapter. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm glad that it makes a transition to it because I wanted to speak about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so just to first answer your question, <coughs> it is you at some point um, you have different level of strategy that uh, the system can use to repress your movement Mm -hmm. and it goes from the mildest thing of just like uh, I don't know just like not giving you any media coverage Mm -hmm. to uh, more active repression of like uh, killing you or putting you in jail and during this list of tactics one of the tactics that uh, system or government or power in place can actually use is to give you part of the thing you are asking for because the result will usually be that part of the people that were motivated to take the action think that they won so they will leave or feel less motivated to pursue the fight because we obtain like they, yeah. they can breathe a bit and if some parts of the movement are to be uh, still still wanting to say like no this is just a, a bleached version of what we are asking for it's not enough like we, we really want the, the full the full package, not just the, the light option. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might create conflict within the movement. So actually giving part of what the movement is asking for is a way to destroy the movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, and it's, I saw it um, applied and realized it. What, what I really like with this book is that when you hear about other activists, you can see the patterns that are described in his book and you can see... You feel like you have the solutions how to get out of certain situations because you had the knowledge from this book. Mm. So that's really the plus. I was watching this documentary about um, MBS, the actual uh, prince of uh, Saudi Arabia. Okay. Uh, okay, yes. Interesting. He is right now trying to really modernize Saudi Arabia, uh, both on the ground and the, in the eyes of uh, Occidental people like you and me, yeah. to make it sound less like a distant place, much, much more open and uh, progressist. Mm-hmm. And so this comes uh, a long way by giving more rights to women, for example. Yep. And he, women now are allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia, which they, they weren't before. They still get stoned in the street or get uh, <laughs> like yeah. uh, a lot of sexist, uh, in a lot of sexist situation, but they, they can drive now. And a lot of uh, communication is done around this. And during the documentary, one of the leaders of the, the movement for the women's rights in Saudi Arabia was saying, like, we don't just want to drive. We want it to be much deeper. We want the equality to be much more real. And now it feels like by just giving us one cookie, 
we're going to go away from the cake. No, we want the cake. We're coming for the cake. And it can be very easy to be, um, uh, to get, to be satisfied with the cookie, I believe, for a lot of movement, if you think that was the cake. Yeah. If my metaphor makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I can understand that. I mean, uh, you, for a lot of people, they say that, I think this kind of thing has been a very tough struggle anyway. And then they realize, okay, we got this. So uh, it's now, for now, it's enough. I will continue with my normal life. And uh, uh, it has been a slightly improvement, which I think is maybe good to do. Yeah, yeah. You, you feel like it's enough, but it's, you were fighting for much more. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's coming. Well, it, yeah, it's kind of depends how the uh, balance is, right? I mean, it's always. Mm-hmm. Usually, I guess in if you even if you protest or take a, activism, you never I would I would say uh, you it's very difficult to get all your uh, requirements or all your demands fulfilled, right? So usually it's always kind of give and take. I would say, like uh, mm-hmm. um, getting both halfway. I don't, yeah, I guess so. And I believe in um, the author's definition, you will be defined as a liberal as opposed to a radical. Yes, probably I am. Which is someone that thinks, not liberal in the term of really economical, but mm-hmm. more someone that has a profile that will usually think that uh, reforms are sufficient and we can that we can work within the system mm. as opposed to radical that want a system change. Yeah. So I think you fall youth in there. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I am within this liberal. definition. Yeah. Yeah, I do as well. I vote for liberals as well, so that's fine. You don't have to say this here. Well, I don't it's pretty personal. Party, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's conclude this episode with what I wanted to talk yes. about since a few minutes already. Counterintelligence. So first, we have to know what intelligence is, just in case some of our listeners don't. Intelligence is just the work of gathering information about your targets or any, any information that will be important for you to pursue your activity. Mm. For example, you're going to, let's take again the example, you want to attack a coal power plant. You need to know what kind of uh, security is there, how are the people present, um, what what are the easy uh, escape routes. You need to gather a lot of information Mm -hmm. uh, as well. Who is behind it? Who is financing it? How long has it been here? uh, How risky it is to to shut it down right away? You need the science. You need a lot of things about the place. You need a lot of information. Mm. And the activity to gather all this information is under the term of intelligence. If one was working into ecology intelligence, it would be trying to gather all the relevant information that came out regarding ecology, mm. regarding your subject. Mm. And so counterintelligence, which was kind of started by the FBI as a as a program called Quantel Pro. Okay. If I remember correctly. During the Cold War? Um, Second World War? I don't know. I think it could have started even after the the First World War. I don't remember, sadly. But it's something that could happen pretty early because the process of counterintelligence is to willingly let your opponents read some information that is fake. Yeah. But why is it FBI? It should be then CIA, right? Because FBI just only uh, in within America and CIA is for abroad. 
Oh, but it, it can happen uh, within uh, within America as well. Yeah. When you have like a, an American movement being fought okay. by the FBI. Makes sense. Makes sense. I have to acknowledge that I'm not uh, pro into what these uh, institutions <laughs> do exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so the counterintelligence is to f- put yourself in the head of your adversary mm. and know what to fakely tell him so he will draw the conclusion that you want. Okay. Yeah. And that's just an interesting advice because then it's very much something, an idea we used to nowadays with all the fake news. Yeah. But I, I thought it was just super interesting to think that you have to go through through this. And um, counterintelligence can be fake information you read, or it can be, for example, if you want someone to miss a meeting, you just send him a secret message saying, like, uh, the meeting is cancelled, we see you again another time, and then the person doesn't go, but the meeting was going there, so mm. hop. Just by magic, the people don't show up to the meeting. Or it can be try to put the people against each other by saying, like, uh, yeah, this person has interest into... Uh, taking your place in the organization. Mm-hmm. Like basically destroying the movement with fake information uh, while thinking which kind of conclusion they will reach. Yeah, but then we have to talk uh, with someone from... Uh, oh, uh, Russia is very uh, good in this kind of stuff, right? Uh, making very good uh, counter uh, intelligence information, spreading around... Uh, uh, information on Facebook or social media or whatever to... Oh, I, I think in modern fake news, I don't know if they're the most present. I feel like I hear more news from the US than uh, than Russia. No. I guess that the, every big uh, nation have their fair share of uh, oh, yes. campaigning about themselves and uh, downsizing the, the people they don't really are friends in friendly terms with. No. No, but the fastness, of course, in uh, oh, here in the west of Europe... We are very American orientated anyway, so most of what we, the, if mm-hmm. we watch news, it's all all directed from, uh, not direct, yeah, kind of focused on America, what happens there or here, and it's always against Russia. So it's nothing so far. It's very difficult to see what comes positive from that side. Usually, it's always something. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, for me personally. That's why it's one of the reasons I decided to stay a little bit away from news. Because I, yeah, I I, mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't find any value for myself to get any any yeah interesting knowledge or uh, from from those news agencies and uh, now I do it more again because I want to a little bit know about Corona but I start already <laughs> I start already I get the feeling that I um yeah I don't know it's just so single focus somehow and it's really really i don't like that much it's funny that uh i remember you criticizing me for not listening to the news so often because <laughs> <laughs> i i consume very little news myself you i usually let i know that important stuff or common stuff that i would have reached myself they will reach me through the people around me so i apply the people around me filter yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. I did it as well for a long time, actually. Except now, mm-hmm. it starts again. So I have to cut it off. Try, try to minimize those uh, uh, minutes I spent on my phone watching the. Yeah, it's time consuming. Yeah. And I feel like I said most of the interesting things I had to say about my reading. So let's not consume our listeners' time I, too much either. Oh, no, there's a spe- precious time for everyone, right? 
Yes. So thank you, Sander, for being here. Oh. Thank you for again uh, Good. discussing this book with me. Oh. I'm looking forward to our next episode. Yeah. We're planning soon a special guest episode. Yes. Once again. Uh, I like it. I'm very interested in this guest speaker. Yeah, and it will be a special guest and a special subject. Yes. So we don't tell more and uh, hope to see you guys soon. Hope to see you soon. Hello, Elio. Hello. Bye bye. bye.